0: All right, let's 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 go to the Lord and pray. Father, we we dare not neglect uh, seeking you as we open up the Word of God, and it's proclaimed and it is taught. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be using this time in the lives of your people. Lord, your Word is living and powerful. Your Word is like a hammer that destroys things, and it's like a sword that pierces. And we pray that it would have its intended work in our hearts, Lord, to the extent that we are in error in any way, that we are drifting or walking away from you, Lord. We pray that this would be a corrective word to us and that you'd help us to turn and to seek you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been discussing the wandering of the children of israel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land and my question to you this morning is why did god give these stories these historical accounts of what took place while they're on this pilgrimage while they're on this way to the promised land what was god's purpose in giving us all of these stories was it just that he wanted us to have some interesting reading material you know without any practical relevance for our lives Well, as we get into God's Word today, we're going to start by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to show you, because the Apostle Apostle Paul answers this question for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And Paul is going to quote several of the stories that took place during this 40-year period while they were traveling through the wilderness. He's going to quote them, and then he's going to tell us why God gave us these stories. So let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Here's the first time he tells us why these stories were included here. That was for us, examples for us, so that we wouldn't crave evil things. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now here we come to verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these historical accounts that we are reading right now as we're going through Exodus, they weren't just for the people that lived during that time, or even the people in the Old Testament period. He says they're written for us, New Testament believers, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. God had those historical accounts inscripturated in the Bible because they are sort of a a parallel with the Christian life that you are living and I'm living today. Now, with that in mind, I want you to go back to Exodus 15, and we're going to read verses 22 to 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, And there he tested them, and he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and he went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. Let's remember the history of the Israelites so far. They were groaning under oppression. Remember the Pharaoh had set taskmasters over them. He had made them slaves and they were groaning, and and moaning, and crying out to the Lord, and sighing. And the Bible says God took notice of them, He looked down upon them, He had compassion on them, and He raised up a deliverer, in Moses. God sent plagues upon the Egyptians, until He finally persuaded Pharaoh to let his people go free. And on that eventful night, when God went through the land, striking down all the firstborn of man and beast throughout all of Egypt, when he saw the blood over the door, he passed over and did not bring his wrath and his judgment to bear upon the firstborn of that house. Now think about this. Their actual history is really our spiritual history because there was a time when we were groaning under our sin, the burden of our sin. And God took notice and had compassion on us. And he sent a deliverer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there came a time in our life when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and in his shed blood. And that blood covered our souls so that God now passes over rather than bringing judgment upon us, condemnation is lifted and we are now justified in the presence of God. And then we find in their history, that God leads them to camp right in front of the Red Sea with mountains on either side. And when Pharaoh hears about that, he brings his army and they decide they're going to come in and take them captive and take them back to Egypt. But God does something so incredible. He brings a strong east wind that actually lifts up the sea and parts it wide enough, probably a half mile or more in width, so that 2 million people can pass through that Red Sea in one night. He delivered them from their enemies. And hasn't God delivered you, Christian, from your enemies, from sin, from Satan, from death, and from hell? And then he begins to lead them with this pillar of cloud and fire, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And Christian, doesn't God lead you every single day through his word and through his spirit and by his providence? And the very first place they come to as they leave Egypt, a type of the world under the dominion of satan the very first place they come to is this place called Mara. now notice verse 22 says he led them into the wilderness after god has this glorious deliverance at the red sea you would think that he would lead them into a paradise where all of their wants and all of their needs are completely met god didn't do that he (laughs) he led them right into the wilderness and on top of that he led them into a place where there was no water three days in a row they were looking around for water and there wasn't any now try to imagine what this might have been like God doesn't lead us to heaven on a beautiful sunny day with rose petals strewn in our path the Bible says through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God that's the truth that's how God leads his pilgrims on his way to heaven now try to put yourself in their sandals you're part of a group of people that's between two and three million Okay. And you are marching. You don't know where you're going. No one's actually told you you're in in destination. And so you, of course, you don't know how to get there because you don't know where you're going in the first place, but you're all together and you're all marching. The only thing you know is you're supposed to follow that guy named Moses. He's God's representative. And so he's leading the way as he follows the cloud and the fire. But this representative of God has led you right into a wilderness and he's led you into a place where there isn't any water. Now, folks, after three days with no water, things are getting pretty serious. You can go, I've been told, about a week before you die without water. But after three days, can you imagine the dehydration setting in? Lips are cracked. Throats are parched. Little infants are crying and screaming. Uh, the animals are becoming faint The people are becoming, some of them are probably fainting on the way. Maybe even a few of them, the elderly or the infirm, have already died of dehydration because there isn't anything to drink. I mean, this is a desperate, desperate situation. But that brings us to verse 23. Because they come to Marah, and at Marah, there's a large pool of water. Now, what would they, what emotion would be flooding their soul as they finally find this great big pool of water? Hallelujah, right? They're, they're overjoyed. There's great rejoicing. And they're probably a mad scramble as they run down to the side of the pool, stick their face in there, and start to slurp it up. But as soon as they did that, they go, Ugh, and spit it out because they, it was undrinkable. It was bitter water. It was brackish, acidic. You know, there, there was just no way they could drink this water, so they, they spat it out. What would they have felt at that point, do you think? Maybe anger. What else? Disappointment. What a deep disappointment. I mean, for three days they've been looking for water. And they finally found it. And when they tried to drink it, they couldn't. And they're still just as thirsty as they've ever been. Disillusionment with the promise of that pool off in the distance. It didn't bring to me what I had hoped it would bring to me. Folks, we have maras that we face all the time. We have needs and desires. And we hope that this person or that thing is going to satisfy that need or that desire in our life. Some of those needs are acceptance, uh, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, joy, pleasure. We all want these things. They're all part of the human psyche. We want all of these kinds of things. But we make the mistake of thinking that we can find those things at Mara. Mara is the place of bitter waters. We think, man, that that woman or that man looks so wonderful. If I were just married to him or to her, then I'd really be happy. Then I'd really be satisfied. Or we think, boy, those drugs really look pleasurable. That alcohol really looks... I bet that would be... A great experience to to drink that or to take those drugs or to smoke that or whatever it is or we think um, if I just had that job or owned that house or was able to drive that car then I'd be happy then I'd be fulfilled and we think life comes from status or approval or recognition or power or money or fame or sensual kind of pleasures But every time we make that mistake, we're drinking at the waters of Mara. And we're going to find that they're bitter in the end. They won't deliver to us what we had hoped. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be disillusioned. Let me give you a few examples. Have you ever been driving your old car down the road and you start to notice the cars that pass you by? It goes, wow, that's a nice car. Boy, look at that one. That's a nice car. Look at my piece of junk. This thing's an old clunker, you know? It's got scratches on the paint. There's a, a, uh, a dent in my bumper. Look, there's a Starbucks cup on the ground. There's food on the floor. This thing, this just, I, I, I hate this car. I want a brand new car like everybody else has. And so you start thinking about the fact that you don't like your car and you want a brand new car. And you start noticing all the new cars around you and then you start noticing all the commercials about new cars on TV and then you go on the internet and you start googling all the new cars that you would like to have and you start to become obsessed with this idea man I know I'd be happy if I just drove that new car and then you come up with a plan to convince your spouse that you you gotta buy this new car (laughs) this is really be a good idea to buy that car it's only five hundred dollars a month for five years big deal we need it honey we need the car (laughs) right and so we go ahead and we buy it. And what happens after a few months? You find a scratch in the paint. <laughs> we find that our car is getting dirty, just like our old car. And then we start to have a few engine problems. It's missing when you're driving down the freeway. And pretty thing, soon you think, this is just a whole hum car, just like my, my last car. And here I'm saddled with a $500 a month payment for the next five years. What have I done? I drank at the waters of Mara. I thought I was going to be happy, thought I was going to be fulfilled in this thing, and it's disappointing. Or take another example. Let's let's say one of you, and I don't think this, this probably isn't the truth by any of you, but let's just take it. Uh, Let's say that you have been married in the past, and you divorced your spouse because you found them cheating on you. And that person was not a good husband to you or a good wife to you. They, they cheated on you. They ignored you. They really didn't give you the time of day. And so now you find yourself single, but you, you meet somebody. And this person's different from your ex. This person sends you flowers. He sends you cards in the mail. He wants to take you out on dates. He tells you that you look beautiful. You, you feel special when you're around him. And you think, wow. <clears throat> This is Mr. or Mrs. Wright. If I just were able to marry that person, boy, now I'm gonna be happy, I'm gonna be fulfilled, I'm gonna be satisfied, life's gonna be great, I just have to have that person. That person's gonna solve all these problems that are going on inside of me. And so we marry them. What happens? may take a day or a week or a year, but eventually you find out this person isn't perfect like you thought. <laughs> They're just as fallen and sinful as you are. They've got just as many problems as you do. They've got some disgust. That guy has some disgusting habits. You find out that he likes to smoke cigars. Or he likes to eat in bed while he's watching TV while you're trying to go to sleep. <laughs> and now he used to help you with the kids. He doesn't do that anymore. He just sits in front of the TV watching the ball game, letting you take care of all the kids' issues. And after a while, you think, what have I done? I thought I had a bad marriage the first time, but (laughs) I've got another bad marriage the second time. And so this guy's like an albatross hanging around my neck. You've drank at the waters of Mara again. You were looking to that person to slake the thirst of your soul and bring you soul satisfaction, and that person can't do it. They can't. Solomon figured this out. Solomon was a guy that you might say, he had it all. He was the king. That meant that he had all the power that he could ever want to yield. No one could question his power. He had all kinds of slaves and servants doing his bidding. He was incredibly rich. I I did a little figuring this week, and if the gold that he got every year was transferred into our currency today, he was making over a billion dollars a year in his personal salary. A billion. Not even Michael Jackson made that kind of money. I mean, this guy was filthy, filthy rich, powerful. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, so he could be with a different woman every day of the year for three years in a row without duplicating anybody. I mean, so he had sensual pleasure, he had riches, he had uh, power, he had fame. You could say this guy had it all. But he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is what his punchline was Vanity of vanities all is vanity, meaning empty, futile. When he looked at all that stuff in the end, and he looked at the emptiness of his own soul, he said that stuff can't do anything to touch this soul in here. Can't do it. Jesus also had something to say about this. In John chapter 4, he meets a woman who had been married, was it five times, right? And she's living with another guy. Do you think this woman thought that maybe she could find Mr. Wright who would finally do something to fulfill her and satisfy her. She just kept looking for one guy after the next, after the next. She's going through guys, trying to find that one. She's convinced that if I just drink of the waters of that guy, he's going to fill me up. And so Jesus says to her in John four thirteen everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So if you drink of the waters that Jesus gives you, it's going to be like a well. Instead of being thirsty all the time, this well is going to continually spring up and satisfy your spiritual thirsts, springing up to eternal life. And we think that that house will do it for us, that car will do it for us, that beautiful woman over there, maybe she'll do it for me, if I had that much power, or that job, or that position, or that fame, but you know what, you can write this statement over everything in this world, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, write it over anything, write it over your job, write it over any possession you have, because... If you look to that thing to satisfy you what you've actually done is replace the true and living god with an idol that thing has become your god it's a false god and it can't can't deliver god never intended for it to god wants to be the one that delivers god wants to be the supplier of your deepest needs god wants to fill your soul with himself with his pleasures and fulfillment in him and satisfaction in him and joy in him and peace in him But we're looking and running to all the things of the world, thinking that'll do it or that'll do it, and no, it won't. Whoever drinks of these waters will thirst again, Jesus said. Now let's go back to Exodus 15. Look at verse 24 and 25. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there, notice this, he tested them. God was testing the Israelites. Why were they unable to find water for three days? Don't you think God had something to do with that? God was behind that whole thing. God was definitely and deliberately leading them into the wilderness where there was no water because God was going to test them. When you were in school, didn't you ever have a pop quiz once in a while? The teacher would say, "Children, today we 're having a pop quiz. That means right now you're going to get tested, and we're going to find out what you know and don't know. God was giving them a pop quiz let's find out what's in your hearts i'm going to give you a severe tribulation, and let's see how you do. Will you look to me? Will you trust me, or will you well what did they do? They grumbled that means they murmured they were complaining. They were upset. They were blaming things and people and even God, perhaps. Moses. They grumbled. You see, when when God leads us into the wilderness for three days, or He leads us to a mara where we think there's going to be water and we find it's undrinkable, there's two ways you can respond to that situation. You can respond like the Israelites and grumble, Or you can respond like Moses and cry out to the Lord. That's how Moses responded. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered his problem. The Lord showed him a tree. He didn't create a tree. He showed him a tree over here, and he directed him to take that tree and cast it into the waters. And the waters were made sweet. Now, I'm convinced that was a miracle. I don't think there was any particular properties in the wood that caused all that acid or alkaline in that water to go away. I think this was a miracle, but God was wanting to show something to His people. If you, when you come into your own Mara experiences and are disappointed in life because you, you have these needs that aren't being fulfilled, and you realize, I, I'm going to the wrong place, I'm going to that person or that thing, and God wants you to look to Him and cry out to Him, and He will show you an answer for your soul satisfaction. He directs them to this tree. Now, what in the world was that tree supposed to signify? We're not told, and so this is a bit of speculation. I'm going to put forth a speculation, and you can take it for what it's worth. You can see if you think this is right or wrong. But oftentimes in Scripture, the cross of Jesus Christ is called a tree. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Acts 10, what is it now, 39 says that they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. You see, the, the, the story of the children of Israel as they're going through the wilderness is like our story. And so when we go to Marah, and we're disappointed and disillusioned, and life is bitter because of these things, God says, cast the tree into that situation. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ, the Savior, must be introduced into that situation that you have found so bitter in your life. And when you look at their situation from His perspective, with Him being added to that equation, everything changes. Everything starts to change. Let me... Just give you a few examples. You've got a bitter marriage. You're unhappy. You're unfulfilled. Cast the tree in. Bring your Savior into that marriage. Start looking to Him to be your Savior rather than your wife or your husband. God never equipped your wife or your husband to save you, to be your Savior, to be your fulfiller, to be your, your, your satisfier. God Himself wants to be that to you. Now, God may use that person in delightful ways and bring joy into your life, and if He does, praise Him for that. But don't depend on that person to do what only God can do. Or, let's say, it's not your marriage, but you found yourself dependent upon alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or something like that. You've been looking to that to bring you pleasure or satisfaction My counsel is, that's Amara. That's going to leave you bitter in the end. What happens to the person who pursues those things to bring them pleasure? They find themselves addicted to those things, governed and ruled and dominated by those things. A man who is continually looking at porn, what happens? He becomes addicted to it, and he has to have more of it and more of it all the time every day he's always on the internet looking at more things and he's no longer a free man he's a slave to that sin same thing happens with drugs you become a slave to it or alcohol you become an alcoholic and a a drunkard God wants us free What if you find yourself always wanting something new? You know, you're always buying new clothes. You're always hankering after that new car. You, you always want that new house over there. You see, Your focus is on the wrong thing. You've got a false God. You need to shift that focus to the true and living God. Because those things, you, you have to realize they're not going to satisfy you because you, your need runs a lot deeper than just a house or a car or clothes. Amen. Amen. It springs up from your very soul. And there's only one in this universe that has the ability to go that deep and meet needs that deep, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to conclude our message today. And boy, this is going to be a short one, but that's okay. Maybe it'll give us some time to discuss it. With this question, why did God lead them into the wilderness where there was no water? Why did He make their lives bitter when they sought satisfaction In the creature? And I'm going to share two answers with you this morning for you to think about. Number one, he wanted to drive them back to himself. What would happen if God allowed us just to find sweetness in the things of this world with no bitterness? Well, we'd turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to God, wouldn't we? And we'd just go on our way and we would run after the things of the world and we would and we would leave God in the dust, and we would never turn to Him, and we would find ourselves perishing in our sin and ending up in eternal hell. So God in grace and in kindness doesn't allow us to go down that road. God puts some bitterness into our lives so that we would learn not to find our happiness in the creature, but look to the Creator. Remember Romans chapter 1? They worshiped and served what? The creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's, that's all of our sin. That's humanity's sin. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. He's the one that's blessed forever. So God wanted to drive us back to himself. When we find sorrow and bitterness in our relationship to a man or a woman, that's God's grace to you. That's God's kindness to you. He's leading you away from broken cisterns, cisterns to the fountain of living water. That man or that woman can only be a broken cistern. They're broken just like you. (laughs) They're broken. We're fallen. All of us are fallen. We don't have the ability to fill each other up the way God can do. So we're broken cisterns. When we find our soul empty, even though we have that new home or that new car, that's God's grace to you to share. There's things that are much more important in life than possessions. Remember, Jesus said, life does not consist of the, of the abundance of your possessions. He told that to the, I don't know, somebody in Luke chapter 12. <laughs> when you're trying to achieve recognition or fame and you still find yourself empty, even after you've accomplished that, that's God's grace to you because He's prying your fingers loose from those things that can never really satisfy you anyway. Amen. Amen. So the first reason God led them into this wilderness where there was no water was to drive them to himself. Second reason was to reveal more of himself to them. Let me show you this from Exodus 15. Notice that after they left Marah, they came to Elam. And things were really different at Elam. At Elam, there were 12 springs of water, and there were 70 date palms. And they camped out there. They stayed. This is a place of refreshment. 12 springs of water, one for every tribe of Israel, 70 date palms, with their their leaves so they could sit under the shade of those trees, no longer being blistered by the sun, but now they're sitting by that pool, that spring of water, under the shade, just camping out, resting up, being refreshed. Isn't it good that God doesn't always have us out in the wilderness without water? But he will give us these little oases in our Christian life where we come to Elam and we enjoy Elam. But notice that God didn't reveal anything new about himself at Elam. He did reveal something new about himself at Mara. Look at verse 26. He says, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Now, God had never told them that before. I am Jehovah Rafi. I am your healer. I've just healed these bitter waters, and I can heal your bodies as well. I, the Lord, am your healer. There's this new revelation that comes to them, not at Elam, the place of refreshment, but at Mara, the place of bitterness. And haven't you experienced in your life that you draw closer to the Lord and you see more of God's character when you're at, the, at Mara rather than Elam. Yeah. Elam, I love Elam. Elam's great. I, I, I love going on trips with my wife. Those are little Elams for me. But you know, I draw closer to the Lord during Mara when I can't find an employee and I'm on my face. Lord, please help me. <laughs> and life is bitter because I just can't find satisfaction. But I, it's, I'm driven to go to God. So, God wanted to reveal more about himself. I wonder if you feel like you're at Mara today. Does anyone feel like that? You're at Mara? I want you to take heart. The next stop on this pilgrimage is Elam. <laughs> no doubt in time, God is going to bring you to Elam where he will refresh you and rest you. If you're at Mara, God has things he wants to teach you just as He taught them that He was their healer, just as He taught them to depend on Him rather than what they saw with their physical eyes. And so my encouragement to you is look to God today. Trust Him. Depend on Him. He can make your bitter water sweet. Nobody else and nothing else can, but He can. And so just like we read earlier in Psalm 63, let's seek Him earnestly like the psalmist says. Let's pant after him like the deer, panting for the waters. And God will come and he'll slake our thirst. I'm going to close with a scripture from Psalm 16. It's actually a messianic psalm. It refers to Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But the last verse of this psalm says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's where soul satisfaction is, at God's right hand and in God's presence. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this would ring home to us. It would ring true that, Lord, we would take action by seeking you in prayer daily, by opening your word daily, by seeking to walk with you in fellowship. Lord, thank you that you don't ever desert us, but you're you're always doing something, whether we're at Mara or at Elam. Thank you for your grace not to leave us in a place where we would just walk away from you, but you continually deal with us in grace and kindness, Lord. I pray that you would work in our congregation and where each person is at this morning, that you'd help them, Lord, to refocus their attention and to, to pursue with all their heart their communion with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.